episode 27. Welcome to the Everyday Discernment Podcast. Hopefully you checked out last week's episode. I talked to Ryan Frederick from the Fierce Marriage Podcast, and we had a great conversation about marriage and parenting. Make sure you check it out. I have a couple awesome announcements for you since the last episode. So the Everyday Discernment Podcast is now part of the Charisma Podcast Network. You might have noticed my new cover art along with the CPN logo at the bottom right. So I'm extremely excited to be a part of this awesome podcast network. It allows the the show to reach a lot more people. It gives me the chance to write a couple articles a month for the Charisma Magazine website, and it's a great opportunity that the Lord has given this podcast. The second announcement is that I have a second podcast called Eyes on Jesus, and it's an exclusive podcast for Patreon supporters. So if you come alongside and support this ministry at any tier on the Patreon levels, you'll get access to this exclusive podcast. My goal with it is to just kind of share my heart on different matters, maybe an expanded conversation from these episodes on the Everyday Discernment podcast. It could be topics that I've written about. It could be anything that's on your heart as a listeners that you email me about. It's just kind of going to be a casual podcast that you can listen to. Make sure you check out the different Patreon levels that are available. There's different benefits that I've tweaked, including exclusive merchandise that you can get and an autographed copy of my book, Everyday Discernment. And for today, I'm talking to Stephen Arterburn. He's written the book, Every Man's Battle, that has impacted so many people, including myself. He's written so many books that have impacted thousands of people, and I'm so honored to be able to talk with him right now. Welcome to the Everyday Discernment Podcast. This show is about you and your walk with Jesus as we grow in discernment together so that we can make better daily decisions that honor God in all we do. We will align all things against the Bible and give you practical steps to run your Christian race to win. And now your host, the discerning dad, Tim Ferrara. Welcome to the Everyday Discernment Podcast. I'm excited to be here today and honored to be here with Pastor Steve Arterburn. He's the founder, chairman of New Life Ministries, host of the Christian counseling talk show, New Life Live. He also serves as a teaching pastor. He's a public speaker and he has multiple best-selling books and over 60 books total, which is insane when I saw that stat. So uh, we'll get into all that. So welcome to the show, Steve. Thank you. Great to be here and um, appreciate what you're doing, Tim. I think it's a good thing. Really good thing. Well, I appreciate that. Absolutely. And um, so, yeah, just tell us anything you want to share about your personal information, your family. Well, I would, I've got five kids. We're a uh, blended family. My, my wife brought two boys uh, into the, our marriage and I brought my daughter, Madeline. She's 30 and married, and then we have Carter and James, 22 and 20, and then she and I had Solomon and Amelia, and they're 14 and 11. So we're one of those um, rare families where the blending actually worked, and it was uh, wonderful. Her boys, you know, a lot of times when people blend a family, which usually is a pretty bad idea, quite frankly, based on statistics, but rather than them being something like, well, you know, I got to take the boys. They truly have been just the most amazing blessings ever. But when I met her, these boys were, uh, I think they were four and five. And she had already uh, read the Chronicles of Narnia with them and gone through the um, this little discovery Bible 
so uh, she's she's a great mom, and uh, that we've we've really had a great time. We live in Carmel, Indiana. I am the teaching pastor at Northview Church. It's uh, one of the top twenty largest churches in America. And last year we were the third fastest growing. Uh, the wow. time before last, when I preached, and if you can imagine this, 146 people came to Christ just in one service. I, wow. I think when I was growing up, we had about that many the entire life of the church. Yeah. So it's just a really exciting thing. And and I do that in addition to um, the radio program, running New Life, and uh, doing some other podcast work and writing books. Yeah. So how do you write 60 books in a lifetime, I would like to know? <laughs> well, actually, that's a very old number. Okay. It's actually a very, very old number. I have uh, about 12 million books in print, and uh, I have my name on about 126 books that have been published. Now, I haven't written all of those, and the way you do it is you have editors, co-authors, um, partnerships. There are books, um, you know, like Healing is a Choice would be a best-selling book where I wrote, you know, every word of that book. But a lot of the books, like my writing partner is Dave Stoop, and uh, Take Your Life Back, uh, he and I, you know, we just split it up, do 50-50. There's some books where um, I didn't do 50% because somebody came to me with a manuscript and uh, they, they didn't know what to do with it. I added my stuff to there. So there are a lot of different ways to do it. But the way I got started is I went to a guy who was an author. I heard him do a workshop and I just went up to him and I said, look, if you don't have a, a material for your next book, I think I do. I'd like to get with you and show you, see if we could co-author. And he didn't have anything left. He hadn't <laughs> had anything in a long time. So um, I, it was back, you know, in 1980. Four, if you can imagine that, is when I published my first book, and publishing was quite different back then. And it was um, first book I ever did. It came out number uh, six on the Christian bestselling list, so it was pretty exciting. I've been grateful to have uh, some really good relationships with publishers, and my my biggest joy actually isn't books, but it's editing Bibles. And mm. uh, the best-selling Bible that I've done is the Life Recovery Bible. Uh, Tyndall House did this Bible. They thought they'd sell about 100,000 copies over 10 years. And we've just sold our three millionth copy of that Bible. And then uh, Every Man's Bible is the best-selling men's study Bible. Yeah, A lot of women say their husband never read the Bible until they they got that Bible. And my latest Bible is called the Restoration Bible. And my wife and I are working on three Bible projects right now. One is the one-year Bible for men, one-year Bible for women, and then she's working uh, on every woman's Bible. So uh, pretty exciting stuff. That's amazing. That's, that's awesome. Thank you for filling in those, those details. Yeah. And um, Thanks for asking. <laughs> so the, uh, I was going to ask you, do you have any grandkids? Nope. Okay. Too Madeline beat. hasn't been married very long. So okay. at 30, I'm expecting a grandchild within two or three years, hopefully. Okay. <laughs> so New Life Ministries, talk about that a little bit. And, and I know you have a show and, and uh, counseling and, and stuff like that, but uh, can you kind of describe that a little more? Yeah, well, we're, um, we're, first of all, we have a talk show and it costs us a lot of money to buy the time. You know, it's not like in the secular world where, um, you know, they pay you for content. We have to buy the time to do our program and it's broadcast uh, on a couple of 
cable networks like the NRB network. And you know, we, we deal with kind of the dirty jobs of the Christian community, really tough problems um, that are there in every church, but we deal with it. And uh, we've been doing it for 32 years. We started in 1988. I work with Christian psychologists and therapists for one hour. We do our radio show, and then we have a network of about a thousand uh, Christian therapists and counselors. And of course, that's very controversial because in the conservative Christian world, there are a lot of people that think that psychology and and the Bible don't go together, and they just don't really understand um, the, how it does, and yeah. that you know that all of the research that's done in the secular world uh, supports the wisdom from the Bible. If it wasn't so, uh, one of two things would be wrong, either psychology or the Bible. And we know the Bible isn't, or I don't believe right. it's wrong. And uh, so I wouldn't be doing this if I um, you know, went to seminary, started saying counseling and go, wow, this is horrible. This is uh, heretical. Um, so we, I really love it that not only do we have the, like in, in archaeology, you have to know stuff to dig stuff up. Sure. Well, in counseling, you have to know stuff uh, to deal with what needs to be dealt with. Mm. And just like in archaeology, if they were digging up stuff that proved there was never a temple, there was never a King David, there, you know, there was never a, a Jordan River, well, you'd wonder if we got the right faith. But archaeology doesn't contradict the Christian faith. Neither does psychology. Yeah. So, and neither does biology either, I'll tell you that. Yeah, amen. Yeah, that's good. And uh, like you said, digging stuff up in our personal, you know, personality too is important to know like where to start and, and the history of our childhood or our, our trauma or all that stuff I'm sure comes into play of knowing where to yeah. start. So that's very well, important. And you know, the, um, you, if you were always focused on your past, uh, then your past really isn't your past. It, it, you're dragging it into your present. It's been mm. too much of a, a presence. So uh, we don't want to dig stuff up or drag stuff out of the past. But if you're still impacted by it, then you need to resolve it. And fortunately, God's given us some tools to resolve things. And just because you hear about some secular therapist creating a false memory thing, that, that's, you know, that happened. Absolutely. But you can't judge a Christian counselor based on on that. And when you hear a, a psychologist has been hired for a lot of money to testify in court that somebody isn't responsible for their behavior, you can't say, oh, that's what psychologists do. They, you go to see them and then they tell you, uh, no, that's a, that's a court proceeding where somebody's being paid to get somebody off the hook. Totally yeah. different. And, and so a lot of people have never spent more than five minutes kind of thinking that through. We have spent more than five minutes doing that. I'll tell you the most exciting thing that we do is we do uh, weekend intensives. And what I mean by that is you, you sign up for this and before COVID you would go to a hotel and uh, from Friday to Sunday. Now we do them online as long as uh, we're restricted, but you hear somebody speak and then you go into a small group session with a licensed clinical therapist, Christian therapist, and you go to work on the stuff that came up 
during the speaker. And we do that all weekend. And I tell you, by the time we're done, it's pretty exciting to see what can be done in a weekend. We, we had this film crew come in and they wanted to uh, look at our marriage conference because they had heard uh, we've got really good results and they wanted to do a documentary. So they came in they've created two seven segment documentaries. They came in and uh, the first thing they did is they, they offered free uh, attendance if you'd be willing to, to be in this project and have the group uh, videoed and, and be broadcast. So we got six couples the first time, six couples the second. So they go to their homes to see them in their setting before they're going to come to the intensive weekend. And after they went to everybody's home and heard their stories and filmed them in their homes, they called and said, I, we don't think this is going to work. <laughs> well, why is that? And he said, these people are done. You know, they, they're, they, one just revealed eight year affair and, and the other one uh, hates him and all this stuff. I said, no, that's, that's what we deal with all the time. And um, it is astounding. Well, you get to see it in this documentary. People that were done, they have a really great and wonderful relationship now. Wow. So that's, that's what we get to see. And every man's battle, the same thing. Guys come in there. They don't want to be there. They're there because their wife said, either go to this or I'm divorcing you. Mm. So they go to it and it changes everything. And, you know, we, we've really um, totally destroyed the idea that people have. They say, well, a person's really got to be ready if they're going to get help. You don't have to be ready. You just have to be there. (laughs) And once somebody's in our presence, it's our job uh, to turn their resistance or just their compliance into uh, transformation. And that there are three words that we started New Life based on. One is is true truth. We say our truth. You know, trying to express truth in the way God means for it to be uh, interpreted, and you know, not to manipulate somebody Mm -hmm. in some way. And then the second thing is redemptive relationship or connection. You know, there's anybody saying it's just me and God and my Bible. Well, you're not reading your Bible because (laughs) it doesn't say that in there. It doesn't work. And then, and then the other thing is transformation. We're not uh, here to help people do better uh, or communicate, you know, like in marriage, teaching communication skills so that you can tell each other in a better way that you hate each other, but that's not really going to help. But no. we, we are, we're a transformation ministry. We want people that were going that way. Now they're going this way. And um, we've been doing that. And, and so we rejoice when people uh, go from being a, a bad little boy, man boy, looking at dirty pictures, to totally committed uh, into a, a very authentic and, and connected and redemptive marriage. And we get to see that happen all the time. Wow, that's amazing. Praise God. And just shows the work of work of the spirit when you start planting the seeds and, and how we can take people from, you know, all the transformation that happened in the Bible with people that continues to today, if you just put them in the right, you know, right situation with the right tools and let the spirit do the work. It's amazing. That's awesome. Well, I don't think that God said, you know, I'd really like to use the Saul guy who's killing Christians, but I, you know, I just got to wait. Till he's ready. You know, he hasn't really hit by, he hadn't killed enough Christians yet. <laughs> right. Um, but no, he said, let's go. And yeah. uh, road to Damascus, the light, 
So we have a lot of road to Damascus experiences that, that take place. I ask people all the time, okay, so you have a husband looking at pornography and you're wondering if you should tell him either go to this thing or I think we're going to have to separate. Not that we want divorce, but sometimes right. they have to have some, you know, big deal. Ultimatum. <laughs> yeah. And so now where, what, where is he more likely going to get better? Sitting at home Saturday morning looking at pornography or being with 80 other guys who, who are being helped by people that have been where they were. Some of the guys are absolutely in there. Others are resistant like them. I said, yeah. it just makes no sense that you'd say, I think I'm just going to let him sit at home with his problem until he's hit bottom or he's right. really so he'll figure it out one of these days right that, that yeah never. <laughs> i don't think we have that much time i think no. we need to get with it yeah awesome so i want to ask you a couple of quick icebreakers so who's a favorite author of yours who do you like to read or what's a favorite book that you would recommend um a couple of uh in the christian world i'd have to say uh max Cato, just absolutely uh, easy to read. Uh, he's been on our program many times. He's taken trips with us. So we love Max. Um, Chuck Swindoll is another great um, writer, communicator that I trust uh, greatly. And, um, you know, there, there's some great contemporary uh, writers, but those are really the mainstay of that. And when it comes to uh, secular stuff, um, I like to, in the summer, I like to read a John Gresham Mm. No. Um, yeah. And that might show you the level of sophistication uh, <laughs> that I have there. But those are some of uh, the folks that I like to, to read the most. I used to read Grisham all the time. Yeah. You probably transformed or elevated yourself beyond that or something. I'm still there. Oh, no. No, I'm. I'm <laughs> <laughs> no, he's, he's good. Yeah. So, what do you like to do, uh, hobbies, in your quote free time? Well, I, um, I like art a lot. And, um, and so that produces two things. I'm usually uh, working on some art project. I'm usually um, drawing or painting or something like that. And I have attention deficit disorder, and that kind of helps my brain stay focused, mm. even though for most people that might be distracting. The other thing that it does is uh, I have a hobby of going to Goodwill. And uh, I love to uh, find things there, the uh, art. And I've, I've got, my office is just full of art. And then also the stuff that I've acquired, uh, traveling, speaking around the world and stuff. But it's just, um, just a hobby of, of going to a Goodwill store and seeing what's there. And um, yeah, so those are, those are two things. Of course, I have these kids and we are climbers. We like to... Um, do rock climbing. We have a gym where it's all set up. Uh, so we love that. That's kind of one of our, uh, that's our favorite sport. And, um, and when in the summer I'm in the swimming pool every day. So those are <laughs> some of the, the main things I like to do. Yeah. I can relate to the last one. I live in Arizona. So that's like all we have to do in the summer is swim or stay inside. Yeah, good for you. Cool. I want to move on to the questions I ask all my guests. And that includes um, a time you had godly discernment in your life that you can share and then a time you did not and what you learned from it. And I ask these to help 
uh, my listeners just kind of gain an understanding of how God moves in our lives through decision-making and discernment to know that, you know, it's not the same for everybody, but there are common themes among decisions that Christians have made and, you know, how we can apply those today for decisions that we're making. And so just whichever one of those you want to start off with. Well, I can tell you um, a belief that I have about discernment in my own life. And I don't, I don't want to let anybody off the hook because we need to be reading. We need to be um, growing in character. Everybody needs growth. But it's been so much more of uh, God leading than me discerning. Mm-hmm. But discernment is following what God wants. Right. So uh, I'll tell you um, a time when I wasn't very discerning, or I might have been. <laughs> and that's this. So in, in 1980, um, I believe it was, no, in 1994, I was um, touring four speakers around the country. In nine cities, I reserved nine ballrooms and hotels. For instance, in Chicago, we had like a convention center type room. It was amazing. Huge. Okay, so nine cities, the total amount of people that came to hear these speakers that were pretty well-known speakers, it was less than a 1,000 people. In that big ballroom in Chicago, uh, there were less, I think we had 35 people in this so humiliation, um, embarrassment, and really proof that when it came to touring speakers, nobody in the world has ever probably done a worse job than me. All right. So on the one hand, you could say that was a lack of discernment on my part that I put that together. But maybe not when you think about the result of what happened. So in 1995, I'm sitting at a success and motivation seminar because I was curious about how they succeeded when I didn't. I I had new life, and and the purpose of of doing the touring with the other guys is is just for people to know what new life does. These were all clinical people and see that, you know, you don't have to be crazy to have a psychologist or that Christian counseling isn't anti-Christian. So I'm sitting there in this success and motivation thing. Zig Ziglar uh, was speaking, and um, and I just had I was in the Anaheim Pond. It was the place where the Anaheim Ducks, in about eighteen thousand capacity, and there were about uh, six or seven thousand people at this thing. And I just had this thought, but I think it was actually a message from God. Hey, nobody's ever done this for women. Hmm. Promise Keepers was was going strong, success and motivation. What I did was a disaster. And so I knew these female authors, best-selling authors, Patsy Claremont and I both had written for Focus on the Family. Barbara Johnson uh, and I had become friends over her gay son, and I had a gay brother who died from AIDS and was on Focus on the Family with him. And um, they had a a really a good friend, Lucy Swindoll, who everybody thought was Chuck Swindoll's wife, but it was his sister. Mm. So I called these women up and I said, uh, I'd like to see what would happen 
if we put together um, a, a tour, and here would here would be the thing, you, you'd have to be um, open and honest about your own problems. That'd be the first thing. Right. Uh, second thing is that you'd have to use humor because um, you know we just we know what it does. So so you can't get up and give a lecture. You got to be really engaging. And and the third thing is everything we do. Uh, we got to be sure that we're all theologically in the same boat. At the height of my failure, I'm asking these people to come on board with me, and that was the beginning of Women of Faith. So I think I was discerning a need, and and you know here was Promise Keepers, seven promises that men need to keep. Women were at home keeping promises, and all I, and, and our our mission was only this: uh, with God's truth your own stories of struggle and humor, um, we're going to encourage women. Our mission was encourage women. That was mm. it. Um, and so when we were done, we had over 500,000, half a million women come to Christ through Women wow. of Faith. Wow. Um, so, so you could say lack of discernment on the, on the men thing, but it also could have been God uh, directing me there because when Women of Faith succeeded, the first year we did Women of Faith, we had 35,000 women in large churches. The second year, 150,000. And that arena where there were six or 7,000 people at that success seminar, all 18,000 seats in that arena were packed. Wow. But the part about the failure, I was never confused about why Women of Faith uh, succeeded. I never thought I was a genius. I thought I was a failure, but God had used the failure so that I wouldn't be arrogant and, and thinking I was God's gift to the <laughs> speaking world. God was the gift to the speaking world. Yeah. So, so I think I definitely, I mean, it's confusing on whether the first one was lack of discernment or actually was hearing what God was saying, but I right. definitely think discerning needs that women had you know, we didn't need to repeat Sunday school. We didn't need to repeat hardcore uh, theological uh, controversial stuff. I mean, you know, I'm, I'm very pro-life. I ended up telling my uh, story about pressuring someone to pay for an abortion. The actual the speakers asked me to come and be part of them and tell that story. But, you know, we weren't a pro-life movement. That just happened to be my story. Barbara Johnson had a uh, a gay son, but the, this wasn't about uh, talking about homosexuality. It was all about encouraging women. So there were other women there that had sons or daughters who said they were gay and lesbian. So we were encouraging them by Barbara Johnson, well-known author speaker, opening up saying, yeah, I, I have this same kind of situation for me. So That's over good. 5 million women came over 20 years, 5 wow. million women, and uh, over a half million came to Christ. Praise God. That's amazing. And that's a good reminder too, that, you know, when we don't have discernment or things don't go according to our plan, it could still be God's plan. It could still be something that God uses, 
He uses our mess and makes it a message. It could be something that he uses our lack of discernment and propels us to make a better decision down the road. It could be something that he puts a, a fire in us to start something, to fill a need. Like you saw a need and you filled it. And how many people just kind of see a problem and don't try to be the solution. And even right. if it's on a smaller scale, like in your church, if you see a ministry that needs to be started, you know, get the approval of the pastor and start it. Like we had that in our church, you know, just local outreaches to help people fix their cars or to fix their air conditioning or that kind of stuff that, that was a need in our church. And, and I know good friends of mine that started that. And so whether it's on the small scale or large scale, if you're doing it for the kingdom, there is no, there is no, you know, better than the other. It's just, we're all in this process and trying to make God known. We're trying to show the love of Christ and we can do that through the hands and feet he's given us. Well, you know, um, if we are, Trusting God with success and with the failures. Uh, here's what I love. Something can happen. And we're in a fallen world and people make mistakes. For instance, Johnny Erickson Tata. I don't think that when she dove into shallow water and snapped her spinal cord and became a quadriplegic. Yeah. I personally don't think that God said, I think I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to cause this accident to happen. God could do that. I just don't think he did. But because that happened to her, uh, you know, she was suicidal. She, you know, questioned everything and all that. But then she, she decides life is valuable. Yeah. Well, if you look at her life and all that she's done as an artist who can only paint with her mouth, uh, songwriter, singer, Bible teacher, there are these people that are told, if you had enough faith, you could be healed. In fact, I asked Johnny, is it true that somebody said to you, if you had enough faith, you could get up out of that wheelchair and walk. And you said it takes more faith to sit in the wheelchair and smile at you after you've said something like that. And she said, yeah, I did say that. <laughs> but think of all the people that have been shamed over not being healed. And here's yeah. Johnny. I mean, uh, pretty miraculous faith and she's not been healed. So it's almost like God takes something and it might not have meant to be, but he makes it like it yeah. was meant to be. Chuck Colson, I don't think God said, you know what? I want to start prison fellowship. I'm going to cause Chuck Colson to sin, go to prison, and then he'll start the ministry. No, right. I think Chuck Colson made a decision. He could have come out of prison and said, okay, that's behind me. I'm going to hope people forget about that, and I'm going to go in my life. But no, he embraced it. And as a result, you know, today, thousands of men in prisons will accept Christ as their savior. I mean, it's yeah. just phenomenal. So, so no matter whether it's caused by God or caused by a stupid decision, lack of discernment, if you will persevere with that over time, you'll look back and say, wow, it, it's unbelievable. It seems like that was meant to be. I asked Chuck Olson that I said, do you think it was meant to be that you went to prison? to start prison fellowship. And, and he said, it's such a mystery. He said, I've, you know, I've wondered about it. You know, God saw the movie, yeah. but God doesn't, God doesn't cause us to sin. So right. it, it's a really wonderful thing though. However it happens, if we trust God, some really good stuff can come. Yeah, that's really good. So I want to talk about your every series, every man's battle made a huge impact on me as a young man, as I know it did for millions of other men. And I feel there's power in knowing that we're not alone when we struggle. 
hence the every man, you know, there's something powerful when we know that this is nothing new under the sun, you know, this is something that others have faced, you know, we know that Christ was tempted in every way, uh, but never sinned. And when having discernment against sin specifically, and granted, there's lots of different kinds of sin, but what are some, some key steps, some key tools that Christians can employ to be successful in the battle that we face against sin? Well, I think in our, our social media, uh, YouTube, everything's on your phone days, I think you have to, if you're like most people, you just can't let yourself have access to everything. And at some point you have to say, I have an extreme limitation here. Yeah. And maybe somebody else can not have a filter or, or whatever, but like in the area of pornography, I've got to filter this out. Um, I, I think any man that, and I don't know all men, but I know a lot of faithful men like Billy Graham would never be alone with a woman, would never be in the car, certainly yeah. alone with a woman. And, and most of the ministers that I work with that have credibility, that's the same thing. So, you don't sin because you don't set yourself up to be in to be in a sinful place. But I think even like with men and lust and um, pornography and affairs, uh, I think I wish we would say this to every young man at some point. Um, your first of all, your job is to integrate your sexuality into the rest of yourself. And rather than having this secret compartment out here to the side that isn't integrated. And and I like to use the example, you know, a guy that goes to church on Sunday, he's praying, he's singing loud and all that. And then on Monday, he's treating his employees uh, like they're dirt. Mm-hmm. Well, he obviously hasn't integrated spirituality or his faith into work. It's a real big problem. Right. So um, in adolescence, we're really on a, on a journey to integrate healthy sexuality as it just becomes another part of, of us. But here's another thing I wish we could say to guys, your job is to get over the need to be fascinating mm. to another woman. And it's such a freeing experience when a guy can just enjoy his wife, enjoy her approval, try to solve the problems that are there and not get all excited about somebody thinking that they're wonderful and great and, and all of that. And uh, I was fortunate enough not to, to need to be fascinating to women. With women of faith, you know, there were millions of women, hundreds of thousands of women. And uh, I was very popular with them. But it just didn't, it didn't bother me. It's a gift. And so I would challenge any man, hey, what happens to you in the presence of another woman that you're not married to? You get energized, you get excited. Um, maybe you ought to take a look at some needs that have been unmet, you know, and I think that's important in avoiding, avoiding sin is that you, you just don't set yourself up. And then the other thing is you, you look at some things that you're drawn to and you have to do a little work on why am I drawn to that? Why is that so appealing to me? Yeah, that's true. And I think too, with the, with our battle against sin, you know, it's important to know that we may be victorious in a, in a day, a week, a month, but that doesn't mean the battle goes away. Absolutely. And also, and also yeah. that we can lose a battle, but that doesn't mean we lose the war. 
That doesn't mean that we give up. We just keep pushing forward. We say, okay, I failed. But a lot of times we're like, well, I failed one time. That means I can never be successful. No, that just means you need to be, have better, a better plan, a better battle plan to win. And God gives us that plan in the Bible, but it also takes accountability to know what our weaknesses are. To know, like you said, not put yourself in a scenario that will set us up for failure. We just talked about this in our marriage group last night where just the appearance of evil, avoid it. And it was one of the examples I used was, you know, driving women in my car. It's something I won't do. Like you said, with Billy Graham, it's not that I feel like I would do something, but it's just the appearance of evil and to protect my reputation is important as well. And so we have to be aware of kind of the perception of things and also where our weaknesses are. So we don't sign up for a guaranteed failure. Now, and, I'll go preach yeah. at a church and they'll, they'll say, uh, okay, so you'll be at the hotel. Cynthia will come pick you up and, and, and take you. And I say, you know, I've just got this deal with my wife that 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 isn't going to happen but the other thing is i don't want to be driving up to the church i've just been at a hotel and get out and cynthia's over there whoever she is it just doesn't look good like you're saying the the appearance is is a big part of it too and we know that by stats alone that the pornography and lust is rampant in the church among the, the saved not just the unsaved and you know what would you say to church leadership that might be listening, how they can make an impact in sometimes what is an ignored subject? I'd say uh, not a lot of your congregation uh, was smoking pot this past week, and not a lot of your congregation um, were getting drunk laying out in the street. But here's something that if you have never thought this through, you need to stop what you're doing and think it through. More men that you're preaching to, we're talking about the Christian guys that are in church. They've done this study over and over again and verified. More of the men in church looked at pornography in the past week than looked at their Bible. Mm. Now, if you're a pastor of a church, you got to ask yourself, what would this church be doing if more men opened their Bible? in the past week then looked at pornography. Right. This church would have an impact that obviously it's not having now. So it's not just because I wrote this, this book, Every Man's Battle with Fred Stoker. It's just the, the worst problem that we have. It's the most prevalent problem. And, you know, when we work with the women, we do a restore workshop for those that have been hurt. A lot of women will say, you know what? The pornography was harder for me to get over than the affair he had. Because mm. the affair, that was a real human being, and I knew that wasn't going to be all great. But how do you compete with these perfect images and the way these women look? So um, I, I just think it's really important that a pastor or a men's leadership uh, group, they do more than just have a little message every Sunday. This, this Saturday at our church, we have the chicken bowl. The chicken bowl is from 1 to 4.30. There'll be flag football. There'll be all this kind of stuff. But then you will get a booklet, and you'll go somewhere on the church grounds with your son, and you'll sit down and you'll talk about the issues of sexual integrity and character. And uh, what's exciting to me is the, is the guy that implemented the chicken bowl He said to me in front of my son one day, the reason I'm in ministry is that I read Every Man's Battle. Mm. 
and it changed my life. So yeah, find ways to integrate it into what you're doing or just make it a, make it a point, you know, that if, if men are going to show up to something that you make it a discussion point and, and uh, you know, like you said, they may not be looking for it, but they also may not realize that they need it and uh, it could change their life. And if you messed up, you, like you're saying, admit it, get back in the boat, get back on track. And, um, that honors God in a great way. Yeah. You just, you just learned you weren't doing enough. Cool. Well, we're, we don't have too much time left, but I want to ask you about your book in, uh, take your life back. Uh, you talk about how shame and our past can keep us from walking in the fullness of our future. And this requires discernment about decisions we make, whether they're small or significant steps going forward. So what would you say how someone can break the cycle of bondage in their life or how they can recognize that they're in bondage? Because a lot of times we don't realize it. Well, when it comes to the topic of shame, uh, there are only two reasons that you would have shame. One, you're doing something shameful. Right. And, you know, we associate um, the word guilt more with, with that. If, you know, if you're breaking God's law or doing something, um, so, so if you have shame because you're involved in something that you know isn't right, then you, you according to the Bible, James 5, 16, confess your sins to one another, pray for each other that you might be healed. So you have to open up about it. Can't keep it a secret. And then you have to have a plan. Uh, you know, Jeremiah six sixteen says, stop at the crossroads. Mm. Look around. Search for the old godly path and walk in its steps, and you, you will find peace for your soul. And so you have to do that. What are the steps? I need some steps. I need a path, and I need accountability. I need to, uh, to be with other men. So, so you fix it, you know, if, if that's the sort of, Now, the other reason you might have shame is that you haven't accepted what God says he is. God says, I am rich in mercy. And, and for some reason, you haven't accepted his, grace, accepted his grace and mercy through Jesus Christ. And you haven't allowed yourself to be free of whatever it is that's still causing the shame. And sometimes the shame is caused by something we did. And sometimes the shame is caused by something somebody else did to us. Mm. And either way, you, you have to trust God. I, I said that I was a blended we were a blended family and that's because my previous wife had an affair and, and divorced me. Now I felt so much shame um, because here I was a, a guy trying to help people and had a ministry and now I'm divorced. Well, okay. So some of that was me uh, not accepting God's forgiveness. And, and by the way, I, I didn't contribute one bit to the divorce. I contributed to problems in the marriage, but I didn't choose. I didn't force. I didn't enable her to go have an affair and divorce me. So I encourage people, now let's separate this out. You were a, I was a donor to the problems in the marriage, but, but that I had nothing to do. With, and, and so often you'll hear someone, well, now what was your part in that, of, that her having that affair? <laughs> I didn't have any part of that. And so I felt, shame over the crummy marriage. But then I also felt shame because uh, of the way people viewed divorce. You know, one of my good friends said to me, anybody ought to be able to keep his marriage together. Boom. I mean, wow, that was so shaming yeah. when I, I needed uh, something else. So 
Um, I heard Chuck Swindoll say your past just ended one second ago. Why would you live in it? <laughs> that's good. That's how that's accepting Christ's forgiveness, God's mercy. We get rid of that shame. And if you don't, then you make horrible decisions based on a shameful, shame-based life. And, uh, and you avoid people. You're, you, you don't develop normal relationships because, and, and if somebody says, I love you, and you're not being open and honest and you're experiencing this shame, instantly inside, you don't even know you're doing it. You go, yeah, but if you really knew me. So you can't even experience their love and acceptance of you because you've got this, if you only knew me thing going. So we got to get rid of all the shame. Yeah, that's really good. And that book was Take Your Life Back. There's, there's so many other books um, we're not going to be able to talk about, but I would just uh, encourage people to check it out. You know, they can search you on Amazon and, and where else can uh, people connect with you? Newlife.com. Um, there you go. Easy. I beat, I beat um, about 8,000 vitamin companies, New Life Vitamins, and New Life Churches to .com. I also beat them to 1-800-NEW-LIFE. And so if you need some help, you call 1-800-NEW-LIFE, get a book, whatever, Bible, and then also newlife.com. Awesome. Everyone check that out. I'll put as much of that as I can in the show notes. And uh, a lot of very practical books uh, a lot across different topics too that you may be dealing with. So I would encourage you to check out all the resources available. And I want to thank you, Pastor Steve, for coming on. It was a great conversation. And, and thank you for the work you're doing for the kingdom. Well, same with you. Um, I think our interview has gone about 45 minutes with my ADD. If you weren't very good, it would have been about 15. So you're, <laughs> you're doing a great job. And I passed the test. Keep up what you're doing. All right. Thank you. God bless. That is going to do it for today. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with a friend. Please subscribe and rate this podcast so others are able to see it. And please consider supporting this ministry through the Patreon options. Not only do you get access to the exclusive podcast I mentioned at the beginning, but there's also a lot of other benefits as well. And for next week, make sure you tune in to my conversation with Justin Dean. He's an entrepreneur that helps churches thrive from Sunday to Sunday. And we have a great conversation about church ministry and everything in between. So until then, go with God, grow in discernment, and keep your eyes on Jesus. Thank you for listening to the Everyday Discernment Podcast. For more information on Discerning Dad, go to discerning-dad.com. Be sure to follow on all the social media platforms. Just search for Discerning Dad. Please share this podcast with a friend and leave an honest review on whichever platform you listen. Feel free to send any comments, suggestions, questions, or prayer requests at discerningdad at outlook.com. Until next time. Keep fighting the good fight.